Let's bow our heads as we go before the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Lest you build the house, we labor in vain. Lest you speak through your servants, through pastors and ministers. These are just sermons and words, but God, I pray that you open our hearts, open our understanding, open our desire to hear you. Come on, say this with me. Lord Jesus, make my heart good soil. Open my ears so the seed can be sown. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, the church says. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Put your hands together for our first-time visitors and maybe our online audience. We love you if you're watching online. Thank you so much. How many of you enjoyed Pastor Mary last week? Amen. What a picture of grace and truth. I love you guys. 45 years, her and Pastor Lennon. I ain't got 45 years, that's for sure. I got 12 years coming up in May, but God has been really good. We're on this series called Love and Marriage, where we're talking about just love, marriage, and relationships. And this isn't just for married people. It's for anybody who might end up in a relationship. And hopefully that's most of y'all. Somebody say amen. How many of you are married in this room real quick? How many of you may raise your hands if you're married? Put your hands up with the married folks. Yeah, some of you single people, that was your opportunity to look around and see who was, uh, y'all missed it. Some of y'all missed it right there. That was your chance. I was trying to hook you up. I was trying to be a wingman. Y'all should have been scouting, hunting the man who finds a wife. Praise the Lord. All right, all right, all right. I'm just playing. Man. February the 14th, 2010 is when me and my wife's story started. And some of you guys know portions of this story. As many of you know, my father passed away on Valentine's Day uh, back in 2008. And so I was prepared for a day of depression um, on 2010. But when I saw my wife's friend request in my inbox at about midnight, I was like, dead dad who? <laughs> and I, true story, I, all that went out the window. It went out the window, and all I know is I told the Lord, I'm going to marry this girl. And so I inboxed her, I asked her a simple question, what are you doing with the rest of your life? Because I got some plans that we can fill it with. (laughs) And then a couple of months, we were dating. She didn't know it. (laughs) The first date she paid for it, she fought me for the bill, and I said, keep her. That's a keeper, right? To her, it wasn't a date. To me, it was a date. First interview. I remember going to, uh, we went to Famous Pizza to meet her mother. That's what I knew I was in. I was in. I met mom. I was in. That was it. Done deal. That was in June of 2010. In February of 2011, I proposed May 27th. We were married. And we did everything right. Didn't sin before marriage. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah, amen. amen. We, we kept ourselves pure before marriage in that regard. And, and we, even, we even took premarital counseling. We did everything the church says you got to do. Granted, I just feel like the premarital counselors I took, they weren't ready for me. <laughs> for my unique situation. The day came, we got married. But I got to be honest. All the preparation I thought I had for marriage, and now I want to pause for a moment. To let all the married folk know that you can't take this message home and beat your spouse up with it. I just did. (laughs) You you cannot take this home 
and beat people down with it. It's not for that. This one's for you. God ain't talking to people around you. He wants to talk to us. I think I say this often. We have a propensity to come to church and to listen for other people. Man, I wish Pastor Mary was here to hear this one. And God's like, I didn't need her there. I needed you. I wasn't prepared for what I thought I was prepared for. My marriage started with a real rocky start. I was 25, she was 24, as I like to put it. That was 49 years of life crashing into a couple of days. And the two trying to become one was extremely difficult. And I can say this with all of my heart. There was never a lack of love, especially on my end towards my spouse, even in the most heated moments of our marriage. As a matter of fact, in the middle of a lack of communication, formerly known as an argument, I would say something like, I love you. She'd be like, you don't shut your face. Be quiet. You don't, don't talk to me like that. You don't, you don't love me. But, but I love you. My daughter Emmy does it to me now. But I love you. Right? I, it was never a lack of love, and here's why. Because I knew that my wife was God's provision for my life. But knowing that she's God's provision doesn't mean that I know how to deal with handling how to provide for God's provision. Going into marriage, my perspective was real simple. I knew my wife had issues. But I had this superpower that many of you have as well. And my superpower was to overlook and to underestimate my issues. I overestimated hers. I underestimated mine. And with that, I was off to the races. I said, I do. I was married. I knew that it was going to be great. Within a couple of months, we were back in counseling. I wish I had a witness. Some of you should have been back in counseling after a couple of months. I want to tell you the truth. Most folks don't tell you this, but I'll be honest with you. After about six to eight months of marriage, the vast majority, I would say 75% or more of couples that I have sat with have felt like they made a mistake. That's the vast majority of couples. And then they say stuff like, I should have never married this person. I had a dream. And I had played Bible lottery one day. I did it myself. And we make up all these excuses. And we say stuff like, I should have never got married. That was the devil. And if you give the devil the first part of your marriage, he'll have the rest. If you give him the ownership of that first part, he will have the rest. This is something that many young couples face but don't want to talk about because they think it's just them. No one tells you how hard it is for the two to become one. And we don't talk about it often out of embarrassment for what can be said about us if we told the truth that our marriage is going through a tough time. Can I get a witness there? Now, over the 12 or 15 years, uh, this Tuesday marks 15 years of me uh, pastoring this church, and over those 15 years, I have never preached on marriage, and and uh, honestly, because I just felt like in the beginning especially, who wants to hear from somebody who just got married? But now that I am 12 years in, I got something to say. I don't want to preach hypothesis. I don't want to preach what I don't know about. A lot of people like to do that, preach about this and that, and they don't know anything about it, but they're just taking scripture and saying, well, this is what it says, and I hope that it's true. But I've been through some things in my relationship, and and we all go through some things. It's been 12 years, and I'll tell you this, I wouldn't change one piece of it. I wouldn't, she said me neither for the record. I thought that because I had a biblical view of marriage, I thought that because I was a pastor, it was going to be easy. I got this. 
I love the Lord. I read my Bible. I pray. I give my tithes. I give offering. Like, what's going to go wrong in my marriage? I am perfectly okay. And then you read verses like this in Ephesians 5.31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. I was holding her, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Man, that makes it so simple. Like, I love her. She respect me. We're Gucci. That's Ebonics for like, we're fine. <laughs> we're gonna, I had to translate for some of our guests. Praise God. We're fine. And I want every single person in here to know today that if you listen to me today with intention and do the hard work before you say, I do, that it'll save you from some, not all, of the hardships that people like myself have faced. If you're married in here, maybe you need to apply new principles and reinspect your own heart because we're good at pointing at our spouses. What about them? And God is always looking at and saying, what about you? Are you with me so far? Right? You might find out today you have the right person with the wrong responses, the wrong reactions. Maybe previous things are holding you back. Maybe you're here divorced and you're still reeling from the trauma of the past. I want to challenge you if you put for your best effort through the Spirit of God, that God can heal all wounds, fears, and pains. I want to talk to you for the next few minutes on a real simple topic, and I'm going to go fast, and it's called tripping on trauma. Tripping on trauma. Oh, boy, we're going to get into it today. I grew up in a Christian home. I told you before, my mother woke me up at 5.30 in the morning to watch Joyce Myers. <laughs> then I was watching 700 Club, and I was saved. In the summer, I was getting up, and she would give me homework because, you know, there was no school at that point, but she had to give me work to keep me sharp throughout the summer. My mother probably gave the school system the idea of summer packets. <laughs> and she was dope like that. She was a great teacher. She was a great mentor in that sense when it comes to, like, educational stuff and putting God first. And she taught me how to pray, taught me how to fast. And so that's the picture that I grew up in. And then about, about nine years old, my family dynamic really drastically changed when my mother's, her own personal trauma took over her life and depression set in and we went from this happy family to this family that was really facing hard times. And my mother, in essence, she laid down and never got back up. I'm 37 years old now. I just buried my mom last year in December. And you got to understand this, from nine years old to 36, darn near 37, my mother was absent from my life. And in that, my mother, after a while, she was this super prophetic, super happy, super loving, over-the-top, hysterical person, but depression can get you to be a different person at times. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And my father was the perfect picture of a husband, and I say that with no pun intended. He was the most loving person you would ever meet in your life, bar none. He was forgiving as possibly can be. And he once said to the church years ago that he learned absolute love by waking up every morning and giving my mother a clean slate. And what he said to me oftentimes was his commitment to my mom, his commitment to the marriage. He was committed. And so I saw this picture of commitment, of love, of forgiveness. But I had said to myself, man, I wish my father would step up to my mom and say something because she'd be loose with her mouth. And, and the, being bedridden and being unable to do for yourself after a while, it'll get to you to the place where you start to become verbally aggressive towards those who are doing for you. And I saw my mother over the years, as she dealt with her depression, 
begin to treat my father in ways that no man should be treated. And I made this promise in my heart, Johnny. I said, I will never be like my dad. Don't worry, you have never said that. Some of you are saying, I, would, I told myself I would never be like my mother. We look down on our parents. We judge them as kids, not knowing their full story. Here I am, 28 years removed from that season of my life, recognizing and realizing my mother had been through some extremely traumatic things in her own childhood that caught up to her as an adult. And what we don't realize is that sometimes in the midst of marriages, our trauma resurfaces. And so I made what I would call a word curse against my mom by saying, I'll never be like you. By saying to my father, I'll never accept the things that you accepted. Now, fast forward, I'm 25 years old. I just got married. I'm in love with my wife. She's amazing. She's God's provision for my life. But every time she raised her voice at me, Burgos would lose it. And I wouldn't know why. Three and a half years in almost, I get to this point where I'm just sitting with God. I can't tell you exactly how it happened. But I remember myself saying to myself, you told yourself you would never be your father. But in the effort to not be your father, you become like your mother. Some of you were just like that. You might not know this if you're, if you're, number one, if you're married, you might not know this. And if you read any counseling book you want, read all the books of marriage you want. If you are not super hyper-intentional, you are bound to be one of your parents in relationships. You are bound to begin to birth forth their demeanors. Their lack of being able to be approachable, lack of communication, their volatility, their hurts, their pains, because you saw it in most of relational kind of interactions, believe it or not, it's learned behavior. Y'all got to hear that. What did you learn? What did you see as a kid? Some of you as parents need to start repenting for what you're showing your kids. I began to ask myself, man, where is this Ephesians 5 marriage? But then when I had that epiphany, Pastor Mary, I couldn't tell my wife because then she would be right. (laughs) And I made every mistake you can in marriage. And I'm not talking about stepping outside my marriage. We've been faithful. But I'm talking about I told the wrong people things and then they used it against me. Especially if you're the pastor. Got people trying to come counsel me who can't counsel themselves. I, I've, I've sat there and said every wrong thing, every wrong way to my spouse. Don't worry, you've never done that. You've always been the perfect picture of holiness, Right? But I remember just like, man, where is this? And I had this epiphany, and it hit me. Uncle Jose, it hit me. I got mommy issues. I'm 28 years old, and I realized at 28 years old, y'all, that I've been walking around with a wound in my heart that did not get exposed until I was with a woman in my life. See, when you're dating, you can leave them alone. (laughs) I'm going to talk to you a couple days. When you're married, everything is a little bit more serious because you can't go anywhere. I wish I had a witness there. In the beginning, in the beginning, it's stuff like you would go to your boyfriend or your girlfriend's house and you would be like, oh, you know, Pastor Lenny left his socks on the floor. I'm going to pick these up for my baby. Then you get married and then it's like, if he don't stop leaving these socks on the floor, I ain't about to sit over here. It, 
it's, it changes because there's a sense of finality and the dynamic shifts. Hear me now. And then you begin to have other things you didn't even know were wrong in your life begin to surface. At that point in my marriage, I was still fighting to be right rather than fighting to be heard. And when I was winning a fight, my wife was losing. I was still losing because I had to sit there and be with a losing wife at that point. <laughs> right? And then I'm winning a fight, but what's the point? Because now we're still... And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it's better to live on the roof of your house in the hot summer than it is to live in the house with a woman who's mad at you. That's the book of Proverbs. It says that. But the point that it's talking about is that when there is such a conflict in your life, that it's hard to exist and coexist. Especially if you're dealing with previous wounds. Now, some of you are walking into relationships or you can't walk into one because of woundedness in your heart and trauma. You've experienced very real, valid trauma. I did not know it was there for over 28 years. Had zero idea. Thought I was as normal as could be. And then I would just lose my lid. And then come back to myself like, what just happened? Because in reality, my wounds were talking louder than God's word in my life. And what many of you might not recognize or realize is that when you go into a relationship wounded and traumatized, we call it now being triggered. When you're talking to people in counseling, if you're reading the books right, it says it's a, it's a trauma response. It's a response to previous trauma. Whatever makes you feel like it used to, you begin to lash out. Now, in Scripture, we read of a man whose name is David, and David is best known for killing Goliath and, and not killing Saul and becoming the king and having all these huge victories in his life. But when you really study Scripture, and many people argue this, but it's, I think it's clear as day that David had issues with his family. When, when Samuel comes to anoint one of his sons king, he says to Jesse, bring me all your boys. And Jesse brings everybody but David because Jesse rejected David. When you read Psalm 69, it's a pretty long psalm. I don't have time to read it all. But David, about six or seven times in this chapter, talks about the trauma in his life of being rejected by his family. Listen to verse 7. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. He talks over and over about this familial issue in his life where his family has rejected him. One verse he says, though my mother and my father reject me, have forsaken me. And then some would say, well, he's not talking literally. He's talking very literally. He's, it's a very literal idea that he's saying, my parents have rejected me. Those types of things, they cause inner wounds in your life. The picture of what you've seen where daddy was never faithful and, and he was never home and, and he did all these things. That's the very picture you assume. And so men begin to think that's what a man is because you never had a man to look up to and live right. So when God sends you a wife, you're unfaithful because all you've ever known is unfaithfulness. And you think because you don't do it as much as your dad that you're succeeding. You never had a father in your life, so you think that because you're present in your children's life to a small degree, you think it's enough, but it might be more than you have, but it might not be enough. I had to realize fast in my relationship that I was tripping on my own trauma that I did not know I had. I had baggage for days that I did not know. If you're going to have a healthy marriage or relationship, friendships, 
If you're going to be able to walk into what God has for you, you have to, number one, here's point number one, identify your wounds. Are you identifying in your life the areas of your woundedness and your trauma? And here's the truth of the matter, is that your job should be this, that before I get hitched, that I try to find every area in my life that is a wound and a trauma. But the reality is this, is that some of it will only come forth when you get married. It'll only come forth when you get to that place at the altar and you live with your spouse and then you begin to notice things about yourself that nobody else could notice. And then when your spouse points them out, it's like, who do you think you are? Don't worry, that's not you, it's just me. (laughs) If we don't heal from yesterday's trauma, we find that it affects today's relationships. Some of you can't have good friendships because you think that everyone else is toxic and in every season of your life, there's a different person you're at war with. The issue is probably that you have some type of wound or issue in your heart. Remember, we're listening for ourselves, right? Yesterday's pain can spoil today's promises. Yesterday's pain can spoil today's provision from God. And so you could have Mr. Right sitting right next to you, but you'll never recognize it because you're too wounded to be able to love. You may have missed right right next to you, but you can't recognize it because you're too busy looking to sit there and be like daddy because daddy was a rolling stone. And you want to sit there and you want to live from a place of trauma, but the way of God is not to sit there and live from our wounds, but to live from his word. Have you made that time in your life to say, I have some issues. My parents, I felt abused. I felt abandoned. I have these rejection issues. I have these issues in my life. I had to identify my wounds. I had to sit with them. I had to be with them. And as the years progressed, the truth of the matter is, I began to remember things that I had totally forgotten and suppressed. I began to remember specific moments and interactions that I was pained. And maybe you're here today say, I don't have nothing suppressed. I remember everything I went through. Well, I want to challenge you. It's not about what you've not forgotten. It's about what you've forgiven. It's about what you've put before the Lord. Many here might not know why you're triggered. You might not know why you have anxiety. You might not know why you're struggling in these areas of relationships. You don't know why you can't stop being unfaithful. You don't know why you cannot act in ways you want to act. When familiar pain comes, we pull back, and all all of a sudden, promising relationships turn into painful reminders that we aren't fully healed yet. The good thing was this, and I found this early on. If I took one thing away from counseling, I took this away, was that they told me that your wife is equipped to heal you in ways nobody else is. For some of you, it's your husband who is equipped to heal you the way like nobody else is. Here's what I knew. I desperately loved Justenia Burgos. I knew that with all of my heart, I love, loved and still love my wife, right? Previously, I thought she was the one with issues. Now I realize I got issues. But here's my thing. All I can do is deal with my issues. I'm not her Holy Spirit, right? And she likes to remind me of that. We heard that in a, in a teaching one day. And if I say something, you know how my Holy Spirit, you know, you're right, I'll back up. <laughs> I'll use it on her sometimes. I'll throw it at her. Yeah, here we go. Here was the bomb. You're not my Holy Spirit. And we do that. We get real Christian sometimes in our arguments with our spouses, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that I have to deal with my wounds. 
What happens to wounds you don't deal with? Psalms 38.5, my wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. Remember, remember, do your wounds stink and are your wounds festering? And what is causing you to be unable to have healthy relationships, healthy marital relationships? You see, wounds and trauma need to be addressed because if we don't address them, what begins to happen is they fester in our lives. They spoil our hearts. Maybe it's a father wound, a mother wound. Maybe it's a a root of rejection in your life. Maybe someone cheated on you. Maybe somebody hurt you. I can give you a thousand scenarios, and every single person under the sound of my voice and watching online, you may have a different reason why you're hurting that makes you difficult to be with in a relationship. But here is the common thing of all of them is you need to address your issues. Men, for some of you, you have no grid what it is to be a husband, to be a man, because your father wound has left you unequipped, unprepared to lead. For women, it might be that you were rejected by a man or your father was never present for you, and so you don't know how to deal with it. Maybe you have issues with your mom, and you felt your mom didn't meet your needs. Whatever it may be, I want to tell you that I was unaware for 27 years that I had issues, that I had deep woundedness. I want to digress for 30 seconds to let you know why this is so important, because nothing, in my opinion, is more dangerous to the kingdom of darkness than marriages that are healthy and multiplying a godly legacy. There is nothing more dangerous than for marriages who are lifting up holy and righteous children who are united, marrying the image of God in unity, in oneness. That is a great, greater than any cool church is healthy marriages. Greater than the newest church fad is healthy marriages, the nuclear family steeped in the grace of God and abounding in the love of Christ. The church is built on families. The enemy would love nothing more than to wreak havoc in your family, to make you a statistic in your life of brokenness, of pain. But we need to face this woundedness. Here's point number two, real simple stuff today. When we give God space, he gives us grace. Because oftentimes we recognize the issue we got, Dave, but we don't deal with it. We'll just be like, you know what? God going to have to deal with it on his time. We get real, like, when the Lord wants to deal with it, he's just going to come and swoop in, and he's going to work on it. But we give God no space to work on it. We give God no space, and what we rather do is we rather be in conflict with our spouses, with our friends, with our boyfriend, our girlfriend. How many boyfriends and girlfriends that you thought was the one, but now it's gone, it's done and over because you got these issues? In 2 Corinthians 12, we read of a man whose name is Paul. He's the great apostle, right? And he has this proverbial thorn in his side. He never tells us what it is. We don't know what it is, but Paul has this issue, and he brings it to God three times. He prays and says, God, take it away from me. And the Bible says that God never takes it away. Instead, God says, I'll give you grace to get through. I won't give you a miracle to get out. I'll give you grace to get through it, I won't give you a miracle to get out of it. Because there's so much that God wants to teach us from the journey of going through. Psalms 18, Psalms 19, both of them repeatedly have this theme, this idea that God gets us through. He doesn't get us out. 
The desire of God is to get you through the woundedness. And here's why. So that your wounds become wells. So that what once hurt you is now feeding you life. That others can take and partake of what used to be something tragic is now triumphant in your life. When we give God the space, he pours out his grace. And God's grace is not just unmerited favor. It's more than that. It's the power to do things that I cannot do by myself. It's the strength to forgive when I don't want to forgive. It's the grace to be quiet when I want to lash out. It's the strength to not give up when I want to give up. Are you with me? That's the grace of God in marriage. Scriptures fill with people who recognize their need, their woundedness, their issue, and pressed it to Jesus, and they created space for God to work. You came here today, you're creating space for God to, to work in your life. You're sitting under the word of God, you're creating space for God to work. The woman with the issue of blood, she created space for Jesus to work. Blind Bartimaeus crying out created space for Jesus to work. The centurion who sent a servant to find healing for him. Had a sick servant. The Bible says that he went to Jesus. They knew that Jesus could do it. He made space. Jairus with his sick daughter, he made space for God to work. And where God has given space, he pours grace. Where God has given opportunity, he pours out his power. Where God is afforded by mortal men, he does eternal work in our lives. I needed the grace of God to get me through that season in my life. I needed to make room to forgive my mom. I needed to make that room. And it wasn't this. It wasn't going into her room and saying, you know what? I forgive you for being a terrible mom. I never forget. I didn't tell first service. This is bonus material. <laughs> I remember once I was, at, I was at Walgreens, and I was doing the best that I could to love my mom in that season of my life. When I began to realize the depth of damage in my own heart, it began to kind of really twist how I saw her. And I, was, I never hated her, but I was hurt towards her. It's a big difference. And I was getting her a Cadbury, her favorite chocolate. And Myla, my daughter, said to me, Aria and Myla are there. They're getting their own candy bar. And Myla said, why don't you visit your mom a lot? I looked at her and said, I, mean, I shouldn't have said this. I said, uh, you know, mom wasn't always the greatest mom. I said, sometimes it's really hard to go see her. I just left it at that. Myla said, okay. We leave Walgreens, Jew. We go straight to mom's home. In the elevator, ding, go up the floor, walk out, boom. Myla walks in the room. She's taking off her coat. I kid you not. She takes it. And she's about five years old at that time. She slams it on my mother's bed. Why were you a bad mom to my dad? And I'm mortified. I am mortified. I'm like... That is not how I saw that panning out. <laughs> I silenced her. Aria jumps in like, yeah, we want to know the details. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. And I gave mama candy. We sat there. We talked. We laughed. And I would leave. And every time I left my mom's home, I'll tell you the truth, it hurt more than the last time. Because seeing her in that condition was a constant reminder. And it's this voice in the back of your head, you weren't good enough for your mother to fight for. And those are the things that many of you face when you go to your parents' house. And the familiar pains come. The familiar feelings come. Man, I had to go for years just to overcome that thought process. 
And then when I got past that, I was able to really come to my mother with just the love of Christ. Realizing the brokenness she was in. Understanding what she had faced as a kid that she never told me I had to get it out of her sister's understanding her own plight, understanding what she went through, and then having to repent, prejudging my mother, not knowing the full situation. You see, repentance and forgiveness and healing for me was a cycle of forgiving mom and loving on her, but also repenting for having judged my parents, not knowing what they went through. As I made space, God gave me grace. Psalms 147 verse 3 came alive in my life. It says he heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. How did that manifest in my marriage? That I was a lot less volatile. I was conscious. Am I acting in a way that because I feel triggered? Am I tripping on my trauma? Or is this real that I should be angry about? Again, I couldn't deal with her issues. She was working on them. My job was to present me. One of the keys to relationships and to marriages is to be the best spouse you want somebody to be for you. To be the best version of you that God can do through your life. For my married people here today, if there is issues in your marriage, can you give God space to give you the grace? If you want healing, you got to give God some room to work. In the midst of an argument, you got to get the holy hush. When you feel like you should be lashing out, you got to pull it back and say, Lord, Help me. In the times where it matters most that we're Christians is the times that we often least act like Christians because nobody's around to see us. So I'm going to go off. No, 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 no. Because the people who matter the most, your children, they're the ones. They're the audience that you need to worry about. They're the ones that have to see a godly relationship. For my single people, I want to challenge you. You are not in a season of desperation. You are in a season of preparation. It's a time for you to be out there looking for attention at every avenue you can get it. But it's time for you to be working on yourself so that when women, when somebody finds you, you don't have to find nobody, young ladies. The Bible says when a man finds a wife, play your position, serve the Lord, God will help you. Young men, that you look for the right things in a person because you have the right values. And you're, you're walking in healing and you're walking not from a place of woundedness, from a place of healing. Will it help you avoid every problem in your relationship? Good God, no. Will it help you avoid a lot? Yes. Absolutely. If you're divorced in this room, where can you give God space to bring healing in those deep places that were caused by the divorce where the two who were one were separated now? For this time in my life, about 31 to 32 years old, I was finally not hurt by my mom anymore. I had spent my life carrying this pain, never realizing it. I was broken and wounded for most of my life and never knew it. And here's one of the ways I really got over it. Years ago, I had this thought. I had this thought, and it, I, I can't tell you the fullness of the thought because it's, it's not that it's private. It's just, it's just my own. God hasn't told me to release that yet. But what I, I had this thought of myself, and I said, man, I don't have to be broken because Jesus was broken for me. I remember Isaiah 53, 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Here's my last point for you. Exchange your wounds for Jesus' wounds. 
My wounds hurt me, but his wounds heal me. I don't need to live in these wounds because he was wounded for me. He was wounded for the inner pain in my heart. He was wounded for the, for the issue of my sin. He was wounded for the issue of my salvation. He was wounded for the issue of my inner brokenness. He was wounded for the issues of my physical body. He was wounded for me. For the whole person of who Lewis is, he was wounded for all of me, not just a piece of me. To exchange my wounds for his wounds means to place my wounds at his feet and my right to be offended, my right to lash out, my right to not be godly in the moment of miscommunication. But to say, God, I leave this to you. It means to give him a right to heal my life. But he was wounded so that I don't have to be wounded. He was broken so I don't have to stay broken. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me all who are weary, who labor, who are heavy, burdened, and I'll give you rest. Man, it was a beautiful thing when I was able to finally rest. Some of you are married and you dread going home. You don't know what type of mood your spouse is going to be in. What a joy it is to finally rest. What a joy it is to finally find that peace in your life. He was wounded for me. My wounds, they brought strife. His wounds, they, they bring life. My wounds, they brought tears. His wounds, it extended my years in my life. It gave me grace. Would you bring those wounds to him today? And maybe you don't know them all right now, but will you bring the ones you know to his feet and say, Jesus, by your grace, I want to walk by faith and say, I want you to touch my life. Maybe the first relationship you need in this room today is you need to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe the first wound that you need to heal is the issue of your sin. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that while I was yet still a sinner, Christ died for me. He was wounded for my life so that I would not have to, to live apart from him. That enemies can become friends. That those who are lost can become those who are found. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So maybe you're here, and the first relationship you should work on is that of salvation. Giving your life to Jesus Christ. Making a commitment and saying, you know what? I'm going to walk after him. Maybe you're here today and you are married already, but there's turmoil. There is trouble in paradise. I want to challenge you that God can touch your life. If you give him the space. If you try to work on your spouse, it ain't going to work. If you work on you. If you're single here today, I want to challenge you. If you know you have trouble with people. If you know you keep on having broken friendships. If you know, I want to tell you, it might not be them. It might be you. I want to rephrase that. It's you. <laughs> if in every season of your life, you got somebody else you're at war with, it's you. If in every season of your life, there's an authority figure that you're looking down upon and think you're better than, think you know more than, it's you. The greatest revelation you can have, it's me. When you own it, and when you walk in it, would you stand to your feet as the altar workers come? And come quickly, please.
Come on, would you bow your heads in this moment? If you're here with your spouse and you want to come up together for prayer, we welcome that. We want to pray for couples today if you're here. And can I take a moment to let you know that coming up to the front don't mean you're a total and absolute mess? No, sometimes our pride gets in the way. We can't go up there. What if people think that we have problems in our house? I mean, I hid behind that, that thought process for years. I want to tell you right now, it does you no good. It bears no fruit in your life. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to do a couple of salvation calls here for you guys. A couple of different prayer calls. Would you bow your heads all across the sanctuary? If you are here or online, there's people waiting online to pray with you. Make a comment in the section of comments and, and people will reach out to you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you know that you need to, maybe that's the first thing to, to help heal and step up your marriage is just walking in that salvation. If that's you, would you lift your hand as high as you can? You know you need him. Maybe you've never said a prayer for, for salvation or you have said it and you've walked away from God. Come on, thank you. Come on, if you're online, put that in the comments. I want Christ today. But if that's you here, would you lift your hand? There's no shame in your game. It's just you and Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, there's hands going up. If that's you, come on, I'll give you, give you a few more seconds here. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and you want to, would you lift your hand? Come on, thank you. Yeah, come on, put your hands together. Here's what I want to say. If that's you, you lifted your hand. Would you come up? You're the first person that we want to pray for today. If that was you, come on. Just come on up. Come on up. Come on. Now, if you're here today and you know you got some wounds in your life, you got some issues, you got some things you got to work on. Maybe you're married and your marriage is in turmoil. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe there's more conflict than you want. We want to pray for you today. We want to be able to lift you up in prayer, touch and agree that God's going to do some work in your life. Amen? So I'm going to pray over you real quick, and I'm going to bless you guys. And if, if your heart desires and you feel the unction of the Holy Spirit, I want you to respond to this altar call by coming down this center aisle right here. Maybe your spouse isn't here. and Maybe you feel like it's hopeless to get prayer by yourself. I want to tell you today that your responsibility is you and only you. It's amazing what God can do if you surrender your life to him. It's amazing what God can restore if you put your life in his hands. It's amazing the things that God can take that are far from him and make them look just like him. If you would allow him the chance. Come on, let's pray. Father, we need you. Our marriages need you. Our families need you. Would you speak to our hearts? Show us the wounds. Show us the issues. Show us the areas that we got to work on. And would you give us the boldness to come in Jesus' name. Come on, the church, say amen. If that's you, would you come down that aisle? Don't worry about how long the line may be. Just come and allow the Lord to minister to you today.